0: amen good to see you welcome to risen life we're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning and uh, we're in a series on the psalms this summer and we are on psalm 89 today so if you'd like to turn to psalm 89 it's about the middle of the bible Um, if you don't have a bible with you, you can grab one in the cheat seat the seat in front of you and find it and we try to teach verse by verse through sections of the scripture each week and we believe that uh... All all literature written, we are to critique, but this book is not to be critiqued. It critiques us. And uh, so we listen to it and respond to it, and that's why we teach it and not other things. So we're in Psalm 89 uh, today, and uh, we have deliberately and specifically picked the psalms that we're doing in this, this summer series. There's about 14 of them. And this one is picked because it is the last one in the third book of the psalms the psalms are divided into five books and this is the final statement of the third book of the psalms and says some very important all-encompassing things for us to understand and hear the message really of the psalms is largely found in this book that uh, through david's line is a king that is coming who is going to reign and reign forever and we see that in this psalm psalm 89 it really is speaking of the promise to david the davidic covenant often called uh, that there would be a king in his line that will come and he will reign for all eternity uh, this psalm will deal with this covenant a covenant really is God telling us how he is going to function it's really kind of a job description God writes for himself and telling us this is how I'm going to do things this is my covenant to you and how we are to respond to it how we are to find our place in it um, is part of the deal as we read about this covenant now this davidic covenant speaks of god building a most certain and an eternal kingdom and we are to come under the king in hope in him and submit to him and rejoice in him and follow him all to his glory and the praise of his great name and that's what the davidic covenant tells us And we need to know how we fit into that. And that is that everything God does for and with His people is moving us to be ready and enter into that kingdom and to rejoice in Jesus forever and ever. That's what He's doing with us. In in, in your battles and your challenges, with your jobs and your health and your family, all of that is meant to shape you and give you opportunity to walk like Jesus in it to His glory, and to ultimately present you holy and righteous and perfect before Him for all eternity to the praise of His glory. And, and I want us to know. My aim this morning is to know that with all certainty that that is the path we are on, and that is our future uh, as we look at this psalm. So let's look at this now, uh, Psalm eighty-nine, and we'll see this this promise i uh, three parts here this morning. One is the, the promise of God that we'll see in this first four verses. Then the nature of the promise. I'll talk a little bit about that through the middle section. And finally, what do we do when we are we don't quite have the promise yet? It's there. It's real. It's going to happen. But we're living a little short of that kingdom yet. So we'll look at those three things. All right. Verse one, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Okay, there it is. There's the promise that he will, he will, establish his offspring forever and build his throne, David's throne, for all generations. Now this is built off 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, where we find the actual words of the Davidic covenant. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 to 16. I'll read this to you. And David receives these words. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come from and who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him, and the rod of men, with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, there's a the promise to King David. And it's a big promise. And I want you to hear that there's a short-term promise and that would be that his son Solomon would build a house for his worship. And indeed Solomon did that. And his throne continued into King Solomon's time. And then it says, but there will be a long-range promise here. And that is that there will be your line that will go into all eternity and a king from your line will reign forever and ever. And so it starts with kind of a short-term promise with with Solomon, his son, and then ranges throughout all eternity. And so this is a a big promise and a big covenant that is being made here to David. And it is in this psalm that... uh, the, the Ezraite, Ethan the Ezraite rejoices, um, about God's character. You know, how can God make such a big promise? How can God say that there will be an eternal kingdom that His people will abide in forever, ever? And it'll come out of your line, David. How can God do that? That's a big promise. Forever's forever. It's a long time. And the reason is, is God's character and who He is. And that's why we find him in verse 1 and 2 celebrating some of God's characteristics that will assure us of that eternal future that we have and are part of. He says, I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord. And with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness. And so there's two qualities of God that help us believe and see that God will pull us off. One is his steadfast love, his covenant love, and one is his faithfulness. Um, see, what God is saying in this verse is that regardless how things go for you regardless whether you're having a good day or a bad day whether you're having a good year or a bad year whether you're having struggles with sin or you're having victory over sin that my steadfast love remains the same and i will carry you through all the way to the end and that kingdom is yours forever that's what god promises and it's based on his steadfast love his love carries you through all things it never diminishes it never fails for his children even in the darkest places of sin it never fails when i um, find myself struggling with my own sin or helping you struggle with your sin uh, there's a couple of things i try to help us see together and one of the things i share often is and ask this question this way where was god when you were doing that awful thing where was he and the answer to that question is right no matter how bad it was no matter how ugly it was no matter how dark the moment was God was with you he never never leave you right never left you doesn't leave you it's an amazing thing when you think about it but second of all how did God feel about you in that moment Okay, now there's a lot of answers to that question, but the predominant one is, bigger than any other answer, is God loves you, and loved you, and was with you. See? He didn't love you any less, no less, no matter how bad it was for you. He didn't love you any less. And that's the kind of love that that carries us through. He loves us the same. It's a a covenant love that holds on to us. And I think we intuitively know this as parents especially, right? When our kids get into trouble, sometimes big trouble, right? What do you feel toward them when they're in that trouble? More than anything else, it's love, isn't it? You love them. Let me get them out of that thing as fast as I can. There's other emotions that go with it. There's frustration and anger and hurt and sad. But more than anything else, you love them. I want to get them out of that thing as fast as I can. Isn't that right? We know this as parents. And if we as imperfect parents feel that way about our kids, how does our Heavenly Father feel about us as His kids? You see, that's the kind of love that holds us. He'll take us all the way through and present us into the eternal kingdom forever and ever with great joy to the praise of his glory. It also is mentioned not only is he loving, but he's faithful. See, you and I, we know this, we, we doubt, we waver, we have fears that cause us to run, we get cowardly at times. There's all kinds of things that hit us and and, and sometimes we actually become faithless. We wonder, where is God? I don't even know if he's even in this. Don't we? But 2 Timothy 2.13 says that when we are faithless, God is faithful. It's God's qualities, it's God's characteristic, it's God's strength that guarantees our future. It's not ours. That's what he wants to see here. And he is faithful to us. And when we set out to do things that are destructive, and every one of us have at times, we we set out. You know what that feels like. I know the moment when I'm doing it. I'm taking a step the wrong way, and I know it, but it's deliberate. How come I end up back here preaching to you? Because God is faithful, and He is to you too. Why are you back here today? Right? Right? We know this. Praise God, it's ultimately and finally our making it to heaven, our making it all the way into the eternal kingdom. Our salvation is not ultimately and finally dependent upon our faithfulness, but on His to us. That's the message here. This kingdom is going to be populated with people whom God loves as a parent and is faithful to them even when they are are faithless. And a whole bunch more now. Verses try to make this point as we move ahead. Just how great and big God is. This promise is built on the size of God. Listen, verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to you, Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. You have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Herman mountains. Joyously. Praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong as your hand. High, your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. You you get the feeling. (laughs) Okay, you're going to make this eternal kingdom and it's going to be populated by your people and it's based on your faithfulness. And the only way that's going to happen is, God, if you are huge beyond belief. And that's what he's describing, an amazing, great, big God who creates the world out of one word. He's amazingly powerful, who's perfect in holiness and so he will always keep his word and he will keep his promises to you. And he's able to pay attention to the even finitest details of the world. It says he, he he watches over the the oceans even as they rage, and all the waves of the seas, you are still with them. In engineering school we had to write equations that would predict where a molecule was that was flowing through a tube or down a river. And write equations that would predict this. Right? This is crazy. I don't know why we did this. It makes no sense to me today. But this is what we did, and we got graded on this, right? And I got an F the first time I took this class. And you would too. And and uh and I passed it the second time. But um But it's crazy. One just trying to keep track of one little particle in a in a tube that's flowing through a tube. And here is God. He knows all the ocean and all the subatomic particles all at once and he keeps track of all of them all the time and knows where everyone is at. You think maybe he can keep track of your little problems in your little life, watch over you and guide you safely to that place of blessing in the eternal kingdom. That's the picture that we have here. And so God's promises are are based on his greatness, who he is and his eternal sovereignty and love and mercy. Now, I want to talk for a moment in this next little section um, about the nature of this promise. Um, And I'm going to pick it up, I'm going to skip a few verses because they say similar things. So I'm just going to, this is 52 verses long and um, we won't cover every verse, but... I'm going to pick it up at 27 now, where we see uh, sort of the nature of these commitments that God is making, and I'll read just 10 verses now. Listen, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him forever forever these are the promises he's making to david i will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens and if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments in other words they get really unfaithful Then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever and his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever." A faithful witness in the skies. Okay? You get the flavor of this commitment? You get the flavor of the covenant? The question I want to ask is is this covenant conditional or unconditional? Okay? what you hear there? What did it sound like to you there? I'm going to do this forever. Nothing's going to stop this. Even if they go straight, they're not going, to, it's not going to get stopped. Right, you get, you get the flavor that, that God will do this. There will be an eternal kingdom. His people will be in it. It will come out of David's line. You hear that? Okay, I, w- I want you to feel that because the weight of that passage is really strong. And it's really strong in light of what's said next. Okay? No, I don't want you to hear. This is the kind of stuff that makes scholars scratch their heads and Bible students and Bible people reading the Bible scratch their heads because now listen what he says next in verse 38 and 39. Listen, but now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. Okay, now we got to scratch our heads here, right? Everybody scratches their heads here now. That's the right thing to do, because that sounds pretty conditional, doesn't it? Okay, I think we learn the most when we start to feel these questions and feel the tensions. And in fact, when you read what was said <clears throat> to David uh, in First Kings chapter two, verse four, you feel a little bit more the conditional nature of this covenant. Look at it. verse four. It says, That the Lord may establish his word, and he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. See, if you are faithful, this will happen. Your legacy will continue. He says it again in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 25. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, What you have promised him saying, you shall not like a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Okay. Sounds pretty conditional, doesn't it? All right. I bring you to this point, not to confuse you, but to share with you, I think what ultimately leads to the message of the scriptures in the Bible. What is it now, gang? Is this conditional or is this unconditional? Which is it? And how we answer this question is the key to understanding the message of the Bible. This tension occurs many times in the Old Testament and points us to God's solution. I was tempted to have you raise your hand on one or the other just to kind of see where you'd go with this. But here's the, here's the truth of the matter. If I had you raise your hand for one the, on one or the other, you'd all be right because it's yes and yes. It is conditional and it is unconditional. It is both. And when we understand this, we understand the gospel. See, all of this is pointing ahead to God's solution I, I've got a promise of a kingdom that's going to go through the line of David. And yet here is this rebellious people. And what did Solomon do? He rebelled. Did he not? He, he started to marry all kinds of women that were pagan women that loved other gods. He started to worship them. The kingdom was divided. They started to fight each other. Got more miserable. Started to worship more idols. They sent into exile. I mean, it, it, it just blew up because of his unfaithfulness. And so God is pointing ahead. And we know this answer. If you're in Sunday school class and you're asked a question, the answer you ought to give is Jesus. And that's right. Praise God for that. But Luke 1, 31 to 33 says, And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of David forever. There it is. There's Jesus, the fulfillment. He's the one. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So, what is required of the king is he be righteous and holy, that he walk in the ways of God. And Jesus did that perfectly. And Jesus fulfilled the conditions of the covenant so that God could keep His unconditional promise of a people that would live with Him forever. You see? To get in, and to get into the kingdom, you've got to be holy and righteous, right? <laughs> you, but you can't do it. You can't keep it. You can't keep it. You can't be good enough. And so Jesus... Dies for your sin, pays the price, lives a perfect life, and you have all of that given to you. He fulfills the conditions of the covenant to get in, and then he can keep his unconditional promise to you that you will live forever, and this kingdom will be filled up with people. so you see this? you get it? This is the gospel. This is why this tension is created in the Old Testament so we can see the need for Jesus and turn to him that there are conditions to be met that only Jesus can meet. He meets them. And then God can fulfill his unconditional promises to us to keep us all the way to the end in Christ and who we are in him. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I, uh, I love when you experience these things in life. Um, <clears throat> Where well, the gospel comes to life in, in really amazing ways. And I had an experience many years ago now that was just like this. <clears throat> I uh, I was wrapping up engineering school and <clears throat> I was on my last semester. It actually was a summer semester. I had to take an extra course or two because I had flunked that stupid course earlier, and here I was taking uh, a couple of electives to fill out my <clears throat> my credits <clears throat> and. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm, I'm taking these classes, and um, I had been interviewing for some jobs, and actually had been given a job, offered a job that I had accepted, <clears throat> and um, now I just simply had to fill out uh, these credits. <clears throat> well, I was taking this history course. John Bridgman was a professor, a very famous professor in the University of Washington campus in the Seattle area, and. Uh, he said, okay, this whole grade for this course is going to be based on two classes, or I mean, two tests, one at midterm and one at the end. And I'll give you a grade based on those two tests. Well, I was sick for the first test, and so he said to me, "Uh, just base your whole grade on the last test. Okay? Yeah. I've got to pass this course, right, to graduate. And, well then the company that I had (coughs) signed on with scheduled a date for new incoming engineers that they had to be there for, for orientation and to do some house hunting, but it was a requirement to have that job. And that landed on the exact same day as that final. (laughs) Right? Okay, so I've got this unconditional plan that I've got to fulfill. I'm going to go move and take this job, right? But i got this conditional piece. I've got to pass this course. And they're clashing on the same day. What am I going to do? I was really nervous and really scared. I didn't know what to do, in fact. So, so I went to my professor, Dr. Bridgman, and I told him my dilemma. And I heard the sweetest words i've virtually ever heard out of the mouth of a human being when i told him my situation he said to me i couldn't believe it i still can't believe it to this day consider it a gift i will just give you a good grade and you do nothing i don't even know if that's legal <laughs> But it is grace, is it not? It is grace, and it is the gospel. It is the gospel. He, by his grace, allowed me to meet the conditional piece of the covenant that I had to meet so that I could have that job that was already in place that I already possessed. That's an amazing thing. That's what Jesus has done for us. Are we stunned by that professor? (laughs) My gosh, may God give us lots of professors like that, right? (laughs) I've never met another one. But are we stunned by him? Absolutely. Our Jesus, in a greater way, released us from a far greater obligation so that we can have eternal pleasure forevermore in his kingdom. Can we admire the beauty of our Savior who did that for us? Now, the last little section is a section, it's very similar to last week's lesson actually. Um, Both Psalm 88 and Psalm 89 end with a very similar tone where the author knows of the promise and he knows that the end is really good and he knows the last chapter is amazing and he knows he's going to be into an eternal kingdom that is led by a righteous and holy king and yet the present doesn't look like it and doesn't feel like it the, the present experience doesn't match the promise it was okay yeah this kingdom's coming it's going to be led perfectly and holy by your righteous king We are going to be in a place of immense blessing as God's people, and yet right now it doesn't feel like it. And that's what we have going on here in verse 46 to 51. Listen. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is? For what vanity you have created all the children of man? What can man, what man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? This sounds like last week. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are being mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O oh Lord, with which, your, which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Do you feel what he's going through? God, you're going to deliver me into a kingdom that's filled with joy and a life that is eternal and never ends. And yet, I'm being mocked. I mean, I'm, I'm just suffering. I'm, I'm like under the fire of your wrath. I, I don't get it. This isn't consistent with with what you've promised. Right? You ever feel that way? God's promises. God will work all things out for good for those that love Him. God is for us. Who can possibly be against us? And yet, I'm I'm losing. Do you, have you lost sight of me, God? I'm losing. I'm getting killed. I'm slaughtered here. I'm being mocked. Being made fun of. Lost my job. Doctor just diagnosed me with some serious problems. And we don't know. We don't know the circumstances that caused the psalmist to write this way. Uh, It's one of the beauties of the psalms, actually, is they leave the historical setting uh, open generally just so that we can apply it to our own hearts and our lives. That's the beauty of the psalms, actually. But it could easily be that they were in exile kingdom was divided. They're at war. Kings are being, kingdoms are being shattered. Kings are being thrown down. Um, awful things were happening to Israel. And then we go into 400 years of silence after that. Nothing from God. Where are you, God? <laughs> and yet, Jen, just at the right time, just at the right time, it says in Galatians 4.4, 4, God sends His Son into the world to come to be the Savior, to be the fulfillment, to be the answer to all that they were feeling. He comes and He lives a perfect life and dies for their sin and rises again, triumphing over sin and death, just at the right time. That is our good God. And by the way, he doesn't always make us wait. A lot of times he answers quickly what a blessing is. In fact, I think the general way we live as Christians is in the God's blessing. We're generally healthy. We generally have jobs. We generally are doing well. We generally have friends. We generally have family. Most of the time, it isn't like this. Most of the time, God is just good to us and gives us, without warrant, just blessing upon blessing. But sometimes he makes us wait. And we wait. We go, where are you? Puts us through the fire, and then he just lets it just stay for a while. I've had things I've been praying about for years and still unanswered, and I go, God, where are you? Why, God? I had one this week. I was praying for something in my family, and it was causing me a lot of pain. And I've been praying. You kind of wake up in the middle of the night, and you just pray, and you pray. And, and then at 4 o'clock on Tuesday night in the morning, the answer came. And my soul was free. I mean, it isn't always that dramatic, but it was, it was just free. I was free. I had the answer. I've been rejoicing in that ever since, that day, and that answer. But I also want you to know, and I think you would share this with me, I am thankful for the wait. I am thankful for the fire. I am thankful for the long hours of calling out to God at times and He didn't answer. Because it made me a deeper, richer person. I love better. I live better. I have more confidence in God. I know when you go through something hard and you come and tell me about it, you will get to the other side of it because I have gone through it. That's our good God. And at just the right time and no sooner, He answers. He answers. And that's faith. Second Peter 1 4 tells us that we are, we are, we are made holy by His precious promises. By keeping His promises, by hanging on, that God is good, that God will be with us, that God will turn everything out for good, that He's for you and not against you. If you hang on to those precious promises, it will shape you and make you like Jesus. All of this is to bring you into His kingdom in a glorious and more holy and thankful and blessed way that's the picture here and so today now here we are two thousand years later and we're not wondering about god's solution for the kingdom we now know the kingdom we now know the king we've seen that we got that clear the question we now ask is how long in a whole different way right look around just this week just watch the news I'm kind of old. This is what old people do. They sit around and watch the news at night. And so <clears throat> Mary and I sit down and watch the news and Jimmy Fallon, you know, and so then we go to bed. So <clears throat> sorry to give you too much information. So <clears throat> so we watch the news, but you watch the news these days. And okay, here's, you know, the last couple weeks, the Greek thing, the economy. And is it, does it not amaze you that, that just uh, the struggle in one little economy in this world kind of rattles the whole globe? Doesn't that kind of surprise you? I'm like, who, who are the Greeks? Sorry if you're Greek here, no problem. But, <laughs> but, but the little economy. Come on. But a shame kind of we all our stock market dips and everybody, you know, we're like, what's gonna happen? And then this whole thing with Iran and and now everything's gonna be well and everything's gonna be peaceful now because we've settled with Iran, right? <clears throat> right? And the delusion That is coming over America in terms of what we think is right and wrong. Right? It's just It's a dark day, right? In a lot of ways, right? And so we can and should, I think, say, Jesus, how long? I think we should ask that question. How how long will it be? Right? And where's your coming? Where's the victory, right? It's a little tough here, Jesus. When are you going to come back and usher in your kingdom? Let's make this thing better right now. Today would be a good day. Not too soon, would it? And so Second Peter addresses that and, and he comes to us and speaking of answering people who are saying, where's his coming? Everything's the same. And he says this, but do not overlook this one thing, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is his one day. Think about that now. It's been so it's been two days since Jesus was here last. You may will take another half a day, right? We'll be alright with that, right? Maybe another half a day? Another five hundred years, could be. Who knows? But it isn't long for the Lord. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed for what they are now to us since all these things are thus to be resolved here's a question what sort of people ought you to be in all holiness and godliness doesn't look like you're coming jesus you don't see it right it's been going on forever wondering if this is going to happen oh it will happen it is certain it might be another half a day but it will happen and how are we doing in getting ourselves ready for his return that's the question How are we doing? How are we doing? Right? He will come. He will judge. It is certain. And the first thing is get yourself under the blood of Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Be your savior. Right? Can we say once and for all that all that we try to find in life on this earth doesn't quite satisfy our hearts? Isn't quite enough? Can we say that honestly to one another? The answer to that is Jesus. Jesus. And the eternal kingdom that's coming, it's pretty good now because we get to walk with Him, but it's way better later. The last chapter's amazing. It's off the chart. So let's get in line with Jesus right now. But for us who are Christians and are walking with Jesus today, the call is to personal holiness. To live for the King in a way that they see His beauty. And part of the nature of the day in America is our casual approach to just about everything. Including the most important thing in the world, which is the kingdom of God. We just think it's so optional to do God's stuff in America. Church when it fits, right? You know, I'll be honest. When it benefits me, when it's not, I'm just going to tell a little white lie, right? What's a little action on the porn, on the internet when I just need a little pick me up, right? Oh my gosh, I mean, we, just, we just sneak around doing all kinds of stupid stuff as if it doesn't really even matter. And Jesus said, suddenly the de- rip, heavens are going to rip open. I'm going to be here and, and you're to be ready for me. Get ready for me. And by the way, all that stuff you dabble in is empty anyway. Listen, this is, Ben, you can come on up. In Revelation at the very end, when he starts to wrap this whole thing up and pointing us toward the kingdom and what we should do, Revelation 22, 17 and 18, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, come, Lord Jesus. And let the one who hears, do you hear? Jesus, come, come into my heart, come into my life, have your way. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price come. This is life. You want to live? Live it for Jesus. And what is on the line in your life is the, the kingdom and, and people's futures. Your neighbors are watching you as a follower of Jesus. And all we do so often in America is just complain about their dog pooping on our yard or their yard's not kept or, right, or right, their kids are loud or they play loud music or in my case pot smoke just wafts over the fence at night into my... Right? <laughs> and we complain... This is a matter of heaven or hell. Joy and sorrow, purpose and meaninglessness, all is on the line for the kingdom. This is what matters. And Jesus is coming. The day is coming. And it's coming soon. The heavens will rip open. And so the last two verses of the Scripture say, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that your prayer?